You know, um, I hope you are, are doing well, you know, during these um, crazy days that we are living in. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm doing as well. Yeah, I'm kidding. But, you know, this is just, it's just challenging, isn't it? It's challenging to do church like we're doing it right now. Challenging to, um, to, to try to navigate the waters of, of, you know, being, you know, led and, and leading and, and, and things. This week, um, I, I was introduced to a new word. Um, this word is called Zoom fatigue. How many of you are familiar with Zoom fatigue? Um, what Zoom fatigue is, is there, there apparently our minds process things differently when we do meetings via video conferencing as opposed to doing meetings in a conference room. You know, in a conference room, um, your, your, your eyes can wander a little bit more than they can when you're in a, a video conferencing room. Because when you're in a video conference room, you have to, your, your mind is forced to focus in on the person that's talking, focus in on the expressions of other people. And, and so I, I started thinking about that. And I, immediately when I heard this word fatigue, I started wondering, are we getting spiritually fatigued right now, doing church like we're, we're doing it? You know, doing um, Sunday school via Zoom conferencing or teleconferencing, doing uh, our, our growth groups or doing church via, via screens. I know that doesn't, the Sunday school part of that may apply to us in here, but obviously the the church part doesn't because we are all in a in a room together this morning. But but my my fear is that we're going to get used to doing church this way at an arm's length distance. And and we know the church is going to look different when, when everything opens back up. My prayer is that it's going to be better and stronger than it's ever been. I'm talking about Friendship Baptist Church as well as the greater church. I pray that we don't lose sight of that mission, though. Our mission is to grow, go, and glow, isn't it? Our mission is to become disciple makers who make disciples. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be looking at verses 44 through 53 together. And just kind of give you an idea of where we're at right now. Um, what we're looking at is um, we're, we're somewhere within the, the range of 40 days from the moment of Jesus' resurrection up and until his ascension. During these days, we know that Jesus um, continued to disciple his disciples. He continued to equip them. He continued to help them. Um, their faith go from a fearful faith to a, to a sold-out faith. All of this is happening over the course of these 40 days. And now this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to see Jesus once again um, affirm and teach his disciples, but we're also going to be led up to the moment where Jesus will ascend and take his rightful spot next to God the Father. So in Luke chapter 24, verses 40. 4 through 53, we read these words. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these sayings. And behold, I am sending the 
promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Our message point this morning is this, let us reach the world for Christ. And our first point is this, we need to trust the word of God. We need to trust the word of God. You know, Jesus tells his disciples that these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. You know, Jesus begins this section of scripture reminding the disciples of the trustworthiness of his word. Here's what we can know without a shadow of a doubt that God's word is dependable, isn't it? You believe that this morning? Do you believe that God's word is dependable? Jesus said again, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Notice what Jesus did not say here. He didn't say that some things written about me or most things written about me. He said, no, all things must be fulfilled. Jesus is telling these men and us that everything written in the word of God is absolutely unequivocally true without a shadow of a doubt. Remember, there was no New Testament during these days, were there? You know, the New Testament was literally unfolding before the the disciples' eyes. The gospel was unfolding before their eyes. So when Jesus taught the disciples, he taught them from the Old Testament, from from the law of Moses, from the the law from the prophets as well as the Psalms. And, 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 and what we need to realize this morning is that the entire Bible, this entire thing right here is about Jesus. The Old Testament tells us that the Messiah is coming. The New Testament tells us that the Messiah has come. The Gospels tell us that the Messiah has come. It's a documentation of his life. And then the epistles and revelations, they tell us that the Messiah is coming again, right? Jesus is going to come again. And I don't know about you, but I pray that it's soon. Um, man, I pray that it's soon. I pray that it's in our lifetime. I pray that, that he comes quickly. The disciples had the Old Testament, and within the pages of the Old Testament was the story of Jesus. And Jesus has been teaching them this story over and over and trying to kind of get it into their thick skulls, right? He was saying, you can trust the words written about me, the words I spoke to you, the words I speak to you, and the words that I shall speak to you. He's saying you can trust all of these things. Folks, do you believe that the words found within the Bible are true? We do, don't we? We believe that. Do you believe, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work? Everything within God's Word is about equipping us, isn't it? Yeah, there's going to be some, some, some correction that comes from God's Word. And we read in Hebrews chapter 12 that discipline, it may not be pleasant whenever it's occurring, but it does make us stronger and and equips us to be better disciples of Jesus. This right here, God's Word, is an equipping manual. It is profitable. It makes us better. It makes us better men and women, husbands and wives, better children, better students, better employees and employers, and it makes us better brothers and sisters in Christ with one another. The Word makes us more like Christ. Not only does it make us better, but it arms us for battle as well, doesn't it? In Hebrews 4.12, we read, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the 
thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word is alive. It is active. It is piercing, and it literally lays open our hearts, doesn't it? It lays open our hearts and lays it bare before man and before God himself. Notice also that God's word is enlightening. In verse 45 we read, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There comes a point within every believer's life when their mind is, is opened up to the word of God. That happens at the moment of our salvation. That happens when the Holy Spirit enters into our life and he makes clear that once which was unclear to us. And that's exactly what happens to the disciples here. You know, Jesus, think about Jesus. Jesus has been teaching these disciples about his death and his resurrection since really his, his earthly ministry began. And, and these hard-headed men still did not grasp the entirety of, of what Jesus had been teaching them. And right here, what Jesus does is he opens up their mind, and finally it clicks. Finally they get it. Finally they understand, and there will be even more understanding that will come when the Holy Spirit falls upon them in a matter of days as well. You know, here's what happens. It's the moment of our salvation. The Spirit of God opens up our minds, and there, what was once a, a veil that, that separated us from, from God and understanding His Word is removed. And we read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Paul wrote these words, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As believers, we do not have a veil that clouds us from, from, from our holy God, do we? That veil was removed, and we regained access to God the Father at that moment. We, we, we see his glory. Not only do we get to see his glory, but we also get to reflect his glory, don't we? And that leads us to our second point, we need to proclaim the gospel message. You know, as, as we started out, let us not lose sight of the message. Let's not lose sight of the message and let's not us lose sight of the fact that we need to proclaim the gospel message to the world. And in verse 46 and 47 and 8, again, we read, and, and, and Jesus said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and the, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Notice here, Jesus reveals the source of our mission. And we know the source is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is the source of our mission. He, 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 and, and we have been called to preach the life, death, and resurrection to those that we come in contact with. So Jesus is the source of our mission. And this, notice next, the subject of our mission. Jesus goes on and shares with them what the mission or the subject of their mission should be. And it's this in verse 47, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Repentance is this. To repent means to change one's actions. Okay, it means to change one's actions. You know, growing up, I had a talking problem. Okay, I know that many of you find that hard to believe that I actually like to talk. Um, but, but my talking actually got me into great trouble at school. I, I, I got detention 
for talking. Um, I was kicked out of class for talking. I was introduced to the Board of Education as a result of my talking. And, and growing up, um, when I would get home, my mouth often got me grounded for talking or for back talking or for saying things that I shouldn't say. But here's the deal. When I would get into trouble, I would genuinely be sorry. I mean, before that Board of Education um, hit my backside, I promise you I apologized to whoever it was that I offended. But here's the deal. When we, when, when um, being sorry for our actions, that is not enough. A change in action is what is needed. And that's what repentance is. It is a change in action. It is us not just saying empty words, but it is us saying, Lord, forgive me for X, Y, and Z, and then not returning back to X, Y, and Z, y and, Z and actually completely changing the course of our actions. So, so we, we proclaim repentance in order for forgiveness to happen to those we share with. Once true repentance happens, true forgiveness occurs, right? Think back to the moment of your salvation when you repented of that sin or those sins. At that moment, repentance occurred and forgiveness followed after that. And here's what we know without a shadow of a doubt, that when a person enters into a relationship with Jesus as a result of them repenting of their sins and experiencing Jesus for forgiveness, Jesus makes it very, very clear to them that, that, that they have gained access to God the Father, right? In John 14, 6, we read these words. We sang this song, or the, the lyrics of this song earlier. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. A person cannot gain access to God the Father until they repent of their, their, their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ. We preach repentance and remission from sins in the name of Jesus because it is only through Jesus that one gains access to God the Father. Notice these words that Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost. Peter stood before thousands of people. And he preached the, the gospel message to them. But notice what Peter said. In order for a person to enter into a relationship with the God the Father, these are the things that must happen. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So these men women, students, and children that placed their faith in Jesus on the day of Pentecost, they repented of their sins. And once they repented of their sins, they were forgiven for their sins, right? Yes, it talks here about baptism. Baptism, though, does not lead to a person's salvation. Baptism occurs as a result of our salvation. It's a step of obedience, and we see that throughout the New Testament as well. So, so that the repentance and forgiveness is the subject of our message in the name of Jesus Christ. Notice this. Notice the expanse of our mission. In verses 47 through 48, again, we read, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, we get a clear indication of what our mission is, right? We proclaim the salvation message to all people, making up all nations. And that's what Jesus commanded us to do at the moment that he ascended to take his rightful place next to God the Father. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, we read, 
read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then again in Acts 1.8, Jesus spoke these words, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are called to take the gospel message to, to the nations. We're called to take it to our neighbors, in our neighborhoods, as well as the nations. You understand that, right? We take it first to our homes as we train up our children to follow up after the way of the Lord. We take it to our communities, the places that we do life. We take it to our places of ento- employment across the cities, across the, the country, and throughout the nations. This is not a suggestion that we have been given. This is a command that God has given us, isn't it? And Jesus also told his disciples, you are witnesses of these things. These first disciples witnessed with their very eyes Jesus Christ. They walked with him. They talked with him. They reached out and touched him and embraced him following his, his resurrection. Thomas put his, his, his fingers into Jesus' hand and into his side. I mean, these men walked with him. And now Jesus tells them, go out and declare to the nations what you have witnessed. You know, you and I, we too have been given a message, haven't we? And that message is a message of salvation for other people. What is our message? Our message is what Christ did for them on the cross. It's a message also of what Christ has done in us. It's a personal testimony that we have been given of what Christ did in our life. And when we share our testimony with other people, what we do is we tell them about our life before Christ, what led us to Christ, and what our life has been like after Christ. And so we too, just as Jesus told these disciples that you are my witnesses, we too are witnesses of the work of Christ that he has done in our life as well as what he has done throughout the pages of Scripture. So, so here is some good news for all of us this morning. Some of us get a bit fearful when it comes to sharing our faith with other people, don't we? We, we, we get a little timid. We get a little apprehensive because we don't know how people are going to receive it. We don't like rejection, do we? I know I don't like rejection. I don't like when doors are slammed in my face. I don't like when people say, you know, you know get your, um, your, your holy Joe self out of my face, you know, um, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear about Jesus. But here's what we can be certain of is that, that as believers at the moment of our salvation, we are given empowerment, aren't we? That leads us to our third point right here. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. When we entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit descended upon us and we received power. In verse 49, Jesus says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father. This promise is the Holy Spirit, the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I love this. Jesus does not tell his disciples that he is going to leave them to fend for themselves, is he? No, he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you a comforter, a counselor. This is a promise that Jesus gave these disciples, and we live in, with that promise dwelling in us, right? And, G, uh, and so we see the promise. Jesus said these words in John chapter 14. Um, I'm going to read verses 15 through 17, then we'll drop down and read 25 through 27. But we read these words, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit of God indwells us. And he goes on to say in verses 25 through 27, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit is our helper, he is our comforter, and he's also the source of our power. In Acts 1.8, we read, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What kind of power? The kind of power that enables you and I to change the world, right? Throughout the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit's power on full display. We see the Holy Spirit bring the lost unto salvation. We see the Holy Spirit give us boldness as Christians to do the work of ministry. Think about Peter for a moment. You know, Peter, okay, um, just a matter of days before he stood before thousands of people and delivered the gospel message. About 50 days before that. You remember what Jesus or what Peter did? Peter denied knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times, right? And then that rooster crowed, and and Peter ran off in fear, weeping because of what had happened. And now when the Holy Spirit had come upon him, what did Peter do? He stood up before all of those thousands of people and boldly proclaimed the gospel message. And on that day, over 3,000 people placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Under his own strength, He was fearful and he was a coward. But under the strength of the Holy Spirit, he boldly stood before the masses and preached the gospel. That is what we have within us. We have the ability in us to stand before the masses and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we also see here that the Holy Spirit produces fruit in the life of the believer. In Galatians 5, 22 through 24, we read, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So all of us have the fruit of the Spirit in us. You know, I'm not a very patient person, but I have the fruit of patience within me. I may not have tapped into that, but I have it within me. All of us have each one of these fruits in us. Let's tap into it so that we can be used by God. Um, The Holy Spirit is also the gift giver. And we know that every single one of us that are believers in Jesus Christ have been given gifts. And and, And when we put those gifts into action, people's lives are changed. These gifts have been given to us within Christ's church to make us better and stronger and an unstoppable force. Finally, this morning, um, let, let, let us um, focus on the future. We need to focus on the future. In verses 50 through 52, we read, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. You know, Jesus leads these these um, men and, and others from this room and leads them to Bethany, to the place where he would ascend to take his rightful place in the heavenlies.
But before he left, he reaches out his hands and he blesses um, the disciples. And, you know, as I was thinking about this and envisioning what that would be like, um, I can just imagine when Jesus lifted up his hands, the sun just shining through those nail, nail piercings. I mean, can you just envision that? You know, a blessing um, in, in biblical days meant everything. I mean, it, it was a sign of, of, of father's approval for his child. A blessing would have been for these men um, uh, just assurance once again that Jesus was pleased with them, that he believed in them, and that he was soon indeed going to gift them to go and change the world. It was as good as a, as a hug or a pat on the back or a slap on the rear, um, kind of an attaboy if you're a football player or an athlete or something like that. That's what this would have been as good as. Jesus blesses them just like Abraham blessed Jacob and Jacob blessed his sons and, and Moses blessed the Israelites. In Numbers chapter 6, 22 through 27, we get a picture of what a blessing looks like. We read, These words, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his son saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. That's the kind of blessing that these men received from the Lord. Following the blessing would be these men bursting into worship. You know, a few few days before this, they were running scared. But now, having just spent 40 days with Jesus and, and, and truly having their eyes open to the truth of the word, after Jesus left them, they left there worshiping. They left there in great anticipation of the coming of the Holy Spirit because they knew what the coming of the Holy Spirit meant that they indeed would receive the power of Jesus upon them. And then we finally, we see them when they returned to Jerusalem, that they, 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 they went to the temple on a daily basis, we see, and we're continually in the temple blessing God. They fellowshiped with one another. And, and that's what we're doing this morning, isn't it? We're fellowshipping around God's word and through worship with one another. And, and in just a matter of time, there's going to be um, other members of our faith family and friends that are going to be gathered around either in this room or around video screens, and they're going to be worshiping with us as well and fellowshipping with us. You know, my prayer for all of us is this, that we will not lose sight of the mission. Even in the midst of the, the craziness of the world that we live in today, even in the midst of us not being able to socialize like we want to, We can't lose sight of the mission. So as we move forward this morning, let's ask the Lord to keep us focused. Let's ask him to keep us passionate. Let's ask him to keep us committed to the mission. And let's ask him to keep us empowered. Because what we do know is that the mission is urgent. There are thousands upon thousands of people that are dying every single day around this world without Jesus Christ. And and if we don't take the gospel to them, um, as scripture indicates, then who will? So let's be obedient to the great commission and let's go and preach the good news of salvation. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we come before you now. Just thanking you, Father, for the the opportunity to gather around your word. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, just to gather with these amazing men and women. And, And Father, we pray now, Lord, that as we leave from here, Father, that we leave here recognizing, yes, we do live in some strange days, but we leave here recognizing also the urgency of the message that we have been given by you, the urgency of the commissioning that we've been given by you. So, Father, help us, teach us, reveal to us ways, Father, that we can reach the world, whether that's via a Zoom um, conference, whether that be via a video um, streaming service, or that be a phone call, or maybe, Lord, as we're at the grocery store or, or going through a drive through to pick up some food, Lord, maybe it's there that we share the good news of salvation. Lord, just impress upon our hearts who you would have us to share with. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.